This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Legend of the Bones. Following in the footsteps of giants, Legend of the Bones is a chimera, a mix of old school tabletop RPG and dark fantasy storytelling. As its name might suggest, in Legend of the Bones, the dice rule. There'll be no rerolls, no fudging the dice, no meta currency. The roll of the bones will determine the character's destiny, and no one will be spared their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Last time on Legend of the Bones. In the wake of their battle with the zombies, and Lena's ascension to a true cleric, the party found themselves in a large natural cavern, which was part of a broader cave system. The cavern showed evidence of stonecraft in the form of recesses which contained grave goods, leading Valen to surmise that the caves had been used by the ancients as a burial site for a person of importance. Further exploration of the cavern uncovered a doorway with a richly carved relief and six animated skeletons standing guard. A fight ensued in which Lena drove off some of the skeletons with the power of her faith, before Valen and Torsten were lightly injured. After the battle, Valen inspected the relief which gave clues as to who was interred in the barrow, a king whose reign was marred by violence, greed and pestilence, before they were overthrown and killed. The doorway also had a riddle carved into the stone, and when Valen gave the answer of death, the ancient door began to open. Chapter 12, Part 1, Day 18, Evening, Party Status, Beric, 17 out of 17 hit points, Lena, 10 out of 10 hit points, Kia, 7 out of 7 hit points, Valen, 6 out of 7 hit points, Torsten, 6 out of 8 hit points, Spells Available, Valen has memorized Push and Shield. The companion's footsteps echoed as they cautiously passed the doorway into the chamber beyond. Once more, the air was stagnant and reeked of death. It was immediately apparent that this chamber, like the previous one, was a modified cave, though the stonecraft was far more extensive. The light from Valen's lantern barely illuminated the walls on either side, and the far wall was somewhere in the darkness ahead, though Torsten judged it to be 30 feet across by 50 feet long. Lena slung her shield behind her and retrieved another lantern from her backpack. The additional light allowed the companions to see that the walls and ceiling had been worked flat, though not perfectly so, and the floor had been paved with blue-grey asymmetrical flagstones of various sizes. Running parallel on either side of the chamber were pairs of pillars that had been finely worked with intricate patterns and stylized birds, serpents and other beasts. And inset in the walls spaced between the pillars were what looked like stone portals. The stonework framing the portals were carved similarly to the pillars, 
and from their position just beyond the threshold, they could see two on either side, though there could have been more. What is this place? Berg asked of no one in particular. Whatever it is, this stonecraft is fine, by human standards at any rate, Torsten offered. I believe it is a crypt. Behind those portals, Phelan pointed to the place between the pillars, I suspect will be the place where the king's bodyguard are interred, sacrificed to protect him in the afterlife. Well, given the dead round here are walking about, that don't sound good, Kier said, putting words to that which they were all thinking. But what was it with all that human sacrifice anyway? It was not uncommon among the heathens of old, Lena replied. Regardless, we must move forward, Beric stated, so keep your wits about you. The companions found out and proceeded to advance cautiously. Beric on the left flank, next to him Kier, Valen in the centre with his lantern, then Lena with Torsten on the right flank. The light coming from the lanterns cast further into the room as they moved forward, and the companions could just make out another pair of pillars. As they drew near the first pillars, the quality of the stonecraft became all the more apparent. The designs were of complex swirling and interlocking patterns, like ropes tied in knots, and occasionally terminating in the head of a serpent or bird. Elsewhere, the patterns gave way to carvings that were more pictorial, including figures and beasts. Balaam moved to inspect the nearest pillar more closely, and as he did so, he felt unseen power emanating from the relief. Wait. As with the doorway into this room, the decorative art on these pillars give clues as to who is interred in this crypt. But not only that, they mark an unseen boundary sustained by the supernatural power that permeates this place. As discussed in episode 2, in Legend of the Bones all mages have the sight, which is an innate ability to detect the presence of magic. So Valen can sense the power in these pillars, but can he decipher the meanings of the carvings? I am going to make an intelligence check. Valen will need to roll a 15 or less to succeed. Here it is. A 12. Okay, let's see what happens next. The companions looked expectantly towards Valen, who was scrutinising the pillar and muttering to himself, as was his habit to do when he was deep in thought. After a minute or so, the mage turned to face the others. These pillars are beacons of energy. I can sense it. Valen gestured towards the six pillars which were now visible. I believe they form some unseen boundary, which when crossed will trigger those portals to open. The mage nodded at the nearest portal. How is it that you think that? Beric asked. Because the relief on this pillar suggests that the people in this crypt have indeed been put here to guard the king, but not to protect him in the afterlife, as I said earlier, but to protect him in undeath. Phelan's final word hung in the air as the companions looked at each other. Well then, said Beric, breaking the silence, at least we now know what we face. Stay tight, 
Balin, you are the least protected, so stay in the middle. The companions came together, Beric and Torsten in the front, then behind them Keir on the left, Balin in the centre holding both lanterns, and Lena on the right. And so they advanced past the first pair of pillars. The moment Beric's boots crossed the invisible threshold, there was a rumbling, and the sound of stone rubbing on stone. Beric looked towards the nearest portal, and though expected, the big man felt his stomach turn as the huge slab fell forward and slammed on the flagstones. One by one, seven more stone slabs could be heard smashing on the floor. Beric's hand felt wet as he gripped the hilt of his sword. Behind him, he could hear the creak of you as Kier drew back his bow, and Lena's voice whispering a prayer. Let them come, Torsten said defiantly, and at that moment, eight gangly figures emerged from the portals. Their bodies were withered and shriveled, not unlike the zombies the companions had encountered earlier, but their movements were fluid and natural, and the flesh of these creatures was clearly ancient, as if mummified by the passage of time. Over their tattered clothes, they wore shirts of dull bronze scales, and in their claw-like hands, they held leaf-shaped swords of bronze. A few still had the wispy remnants of hair and beards, which poked out from beneath the bronze helmets upon their heads, and in the sunken black pits of their eye sockets, was an unnatural light that glowed like blue fire. Entering combat. In the basic expert rules, most undead creatures other than zombies and skeletons have immunity against normal weapons. This is fine if your setting has an abundance of magic weapons, but in Legend of the Bones, this is not the case. My setting is relatively low magic, in that mages and magical items are rare, and as such, it may be possible that the characters may never possess a magic weapon. Therefore, in Legend of the Bones, undead which are corporeal can always be harmed by normal weapons, and incorporeal undead, whilst immune to normal weapons, can be harmed by any weapon made from or edged with silver. In this case, the party have disturbed the undead remains of the King's Guard, which I have called Trauger which are a kind of revenant from Scandinavian folklore. This is a custom undead creature which I have created, and it comes in two flavours, standard and hero. These Jaga are the standard type, meaning that they are two hit dice monsters. This confers a plus two to their attack rolls, and with their bronze short swords, they deal 1d6 points of damage. The Draugr are also wearing bronze scale mail, which confers an ascending armour class of 14. You can find the full creature profile at legendofthebones.blogspot.com. As with other recent combats, given the number of enemies, all the Draugr will have the same number of hit points. Let us roll those now. An 11. Well, okay, this is going to be interesting. Round 1. As passing the first set of pillars in the chamber has triggered the awakening of these undead, then they will not be surprised and I am going to rule that the party were also anticipating this, so will not be surprised either. Initiative, the Draugr. A three. The party, also a three. This means all action is simultaneous, and any killed participant will still receive an action. Now, the Draugr are different distances from the party. In pairs they are 10, 20, 30, and 40 feet away respectively so I'm going to rule that only the first four Draugr can engage in melee in the first round. Okay, 
Let's resolve the Jaguar's attacks first. Given the party have taken up a formation to protect Valen, everyone but the mage will be a potential target. So I will randomly roll to see who each Draugr attacks. The first Draugr will attack... Beric. With its attack bonus, it needs a 13 or more to hit. Nat 20! How many 20s does this die roll? Beric is not having a good time of it recently. Okay, so here is the additional damage roll. A 3. So Beric takes 9 points of damage as the Draugr's short sword pierces the male and stabs him in the abdomen. Oh! miraculously missing his vital organs. The second Draugr will attack... Torsten. It will need to roll a 13 or more to hit the Dwarf. A 3. Torsten easily dodges the blade. The third Draugr will attack... Oh no, it's Beric again. Okay, it needs a 13 or more to hit. A 6. Despite the pain, Beric is able to get his shield up to parry the blow. The fourth Draugr will attack... Lena. The Draugr will need to roll a 13 or more to hit the Cleric. An 18 for... 3 points of damage. The Draugr's sword slashes Lena on the right thigh, cutting through her buckskin breeks and opening up a vicious cut. Okay, now let's resolve the party's actions. Remember, this happens at the same time as the Draugr's attacks. Beric strikes out at one of the Draugr attacking him. He needs a 12 or more to hit. An 18 for... 6 points of damage. The warrior's blade bites into the creature's shoulder. Torsten swings his axe at the Draugr attacking him. He also needs a 12 or more to hit. But an 8 sees the dwarf misjudge the swing as he dodges the Draugr's sword. Kier knocks an arrow and shoots as the Draugr advances on the party. With his bonuses he needs a 12 to hit. A 3. The rogue's arrow flies wider the mark. Okay, this is not going well for the party. They really need Lena to turn some of the Draugr. Lena will need to roll a 7 or more on 2d6. Here is the roll. An 8. That's just enough. Okay, let's see how many hit dice are affected. Rolling 2d6 again. A 10. Wow! That means 5 of the Draugr will flee from the cleric. Holy symbol in hand, Lena orders the creatures. In the name of Solon, I command you, go back to hell! The four Draugr engaged in melee, plus one of the approaching creatures turn and walk into the shadows. Round two. I really hope the party wins the initiative. Here we go. The Draugr. A two. The party. A one. The party has clearly been shaken by the initial onslaught. The sixth Draugr comes forward to attack. Kia. It will need an 11 or more to hit the rogue. A 12 for... 2 points of damage. The Draugr's blade slashes Kia's left forearm. Uh. The 7th Draugr will attack... Lena. It needs a 13 or more. A 4. The creature wavers under Lena's command and cannot strike. The 8th Draugr will attack... Beric. That's not good. Our fighter is already badly wounded. The Draugr will need a 13 or more. Here is the roll. A 16! Okay, let's see how bad this is. Rolling damage on a d6. A 1. That was lucky, as Beric is nicked on the arm, but the warrior is down to 7 hit points. Okay, now the party's turn. We really need some lucky rolls. 
Beric tries to counter-attack. He needs a 12 or more. But with a 4, the big man's wounds are making him slow. Torsten tries to support the injured fighter. He also needs a 12 or more. That's 20! That's more like it. Roll in Torsten's additional damage die. A 3, making 11 points of damage in total. Torsten's axe cleaves the dragger's head and the thing falls to the floor. Kier drops his bow and draws his short sword. He needs a 14 or more. But with a 7, the rogue can't unsheathe his blade quickly enough. Right, we need Leda to do her thing again. The cleric needs to roll a 7 or more on 2d6 to turn the dragger. A 12. Let's see how many hit dice are affected. A 6. That is enough. The remaining Draugr flee from the power of Leda's faith. The companions pursue the creatures, who with nowhere to go, and unable to bear the presence of Lena's holy symbol, coalesce in the far right corner of the room, with their backs to the party. They put up no resistance, as Torsten and Beric cut them down. Well, whilst not disastrous, that did not go brilliantly for the party. With that fight and the previous battle with the skeletons, every member of the party is now injured. At this point, I think I have to put my player hat on, because at the end of the day, this is a game. The party will be pretty sure that this is not the last fight that they must face, and with their fighter badly injured, I think that they would decide to haul up somewhere to rest for the night. After exploring the rest of the chamber, they find a stone portal in the far wall, but decide to leave that for now. So after checking the bodies and graves of the Draugr for anything valuable, they will retreat back to the mine where the miners have broken through into the small cavern. Okay, so let's talk about treasure. But before we find out what the party have found, I should mention that I have applied some house rules to money and treasure. Firstly, with regard to coinage, there are no platinum or electrum coins in Legend of the Bones. Coins come in copper, silver and gold and the random amounts found are 10% of those listed in the basic expert rules. This is because I have adjusted the economy of my game world to be centred around silver rather than gold, as I feel this makes a more realistic setting. Secondly, as previously mentioned, magic items are rare in my game world, and as such, the only randomly rolled magic items will be scrolls and potions, and the chance of these being found will never be more than 10%. Other magic items like weapons and armour will only appear by intentional design. If you are interested, you can find all of my house rules regarding treasure at legendofthebones.blogspot.com Okay, let's see what the party have found among the bodies and graves. Firstly, the party will take two of the bronze short swords, which are worth eight gold pieces each. The basic expert rules give each monster a treasure type, basically a category that determines how much treasure may be found. The Draugr are treasure type E, so let's roll to see what they find. There is a 5% chance of copper pieces. Here is the roll on a D100. A 42, so no copper. A 30% chance of silver. A 67, so nothing. And a 25% chance of gold. 84, okay, so no coins whatsoever. There is also a 10% chance of gems. 33, no gems. This isn't going well. Okay, there is a 10% chance of 1d4 pieces of jewellery. 
09. That's more like it. Let's see how many. A 1. The basic expert will state that jewellery is worth 3d6 times 100 gold pieces, but I am going to change this to 3d6 times 10 gold, as this fits better with my game world. Here is the roll. Okay, it's worth 80 gold pieces. I think this will be a gold arm ring. Finally, there is a 10% chance of 3 magic items, plus a scroll, but as per my earlier explanation, this will be 1 potion and 1 scroll. A 07, wow, I wasn't expecting that. Okay, I'll come to the scroll later, but let's see what kind of potion it is. The basic expert rules have two random tables for potions. One for characters up to level 3, which only contains 8 types of potion, and one for characters of level 4 and greater, which has 26 different potions. It doesn't make sense to me that a character's level would have any effect on what potion might be found, so therefore, I am going to use the larger table. Here is the roll. A 61. Let's see. Okay, wow, that is a stroke of luck, but can Valen identify it? I am going to allow Valen to try and identify the potion by making an intelligence check. As he is not in a laboratory, I am going to apply a minus 2 penalty to the roll, meaning that Valen will need to roll a 13 or less to succeed. Here it is. A 3. Valen correctly identifies this as a potion of healing. Valen gives the potion to Beric who drinks it, restoring 6 plus 1 hit points. That could not have come at a better time and I would happily trade all the coins for that potion. So with that out of the way, it's time to roll for encounters through the night. I am going to make a roll for every 2 hours, and assuming that the party rests for 10 hours, that will be 5 rolls, one for each watch. The order of the watches will be as follows. Valen, Beric, Kia, Torsten, and finally, Lena. The humans will not light their lantern unless they hear something. As the party are not moving, only a roll of 1 on a d6 will indicate an encounter. Here we go. First watch. 6. Second watch. 3. Third watch. Another 3. Fourth watch. 2. Fifth watch. A 4. Okay, so thankfully the night passes without event. In the morning, everyone recovers one hit point, and Lena also prays for Beric to be healed. The cleric needs to pass a wisdom check to receive the miracle, meaning that she needs to roll a 17 or less on a d20. Here it is. A 9. Beric is healed for 5 hit points, taking the fighter back to full health. Okay, let's get back to the story. Chapter 12 Part 2 Day 19 Morning Party Status Beric 17 out of 17 hit points Lena 8 out of 10 hit points Kia 6 out of 7 hit points Valen 7 out of 7 hit points Torsten 7 out of 8 hit points Spells available Valen has memorized Push and shield. The mood among the companions was somber as they broke their fast. 
for all except Torsten were used to seeing the morning light each day. The humans were finding the gloom oppressive, but at least they had passed the night unmolested. If it had indeed been the night, they had no way of knowing, other than to take Torsten's word for it, but they had no reason to doubt the dwarf. He had proven himself honourable and brave. Lena had performed her morning prayers, and after, beseeched the Nine to once again restore Beric. The companions again marvelled at the cleric's ability to commune with the gods, and they took some comfort from knowing that they watched over them. After studying his spellbook, Valen took to inspecting the items they had found on the Draugr and in their graves. The gold arm ring was finally wrought, and Valen explained that among his ancestors, such rings were worn by warriors as a symbol of their status, and as such, it was given to Beric. The potion the mage identified as a healing draught was also given to the warrior, and after he drank it was fully restored. Finally, the mage delicately unravelled the scroll which had been found in one of the graves. The scroll was ancient, and the papyrus crackled as Valen unravelled it. The script was written in the same similar language to Valen's native tongue, and by someone skilled in the use of the quill. After some time, the mage described its contents to the others. It would seem that this was written by one of the king's inner circle. They likely became one of those creatures we encountered, as it appears to be an attempt to unburden their conscience. Phelan began. It tells how the king, whose name was Vortigern, rose to power and defeated the other warlords to conquer the peninsula. The man writes how Vortigern was a petty ruler, whose ambition could not be matched by his power. That was until five jewels were found here in the Twin Hills, and the king had them fashioned into a crown. That seems consistent with the relief around the doorway, Lena interjected. Indeed, Valen agreed before continuing. The man writes how Vortigern began as a weak and jealous ruler, but once the jeweled crown was upon his head, he was bestowed with a great strength, and the king became a crueler tyrant delighting in the killing of his enemies, and the torture and butchery of innocence. So the crown bestows an unnatural strength? Beric said. Yes, the mage confirmed. But the word for strength, Krefta, could also mean power. The account continues to tell of Vortigern's lust for power, land and wealth, and how he subdued all the land. But for one rival, Heriak. Vortigern was jealous of Heriak, for his rival's wife, Yvaine, was a great beauty, and Vortigern lusted after her. Vortigern used the power of the crown to defeat Heriak, rape Yvaine, and force her to marry him. Kia cursed, though Valen ignored the rogue's interruption. But Heriak's son, Derwen, led a rebellion to avenge his father. A great battle followed, and Vortigern was killed by Derwen. The crown was broken, and the jewels entrusted to the keeping of five seers, so that they may never be brought together again. Valen looked back at the scroll. After, Vortigern's body was stolen away by those fanatically loyal to him, and placed in this tomb. Eight were chosen to be buried alive in the crypt and the doorway to be sealed in a ritual sanctified with human sacrifice. There was silence for a few moments, 
as the companions absorbed the account. Finally, Lena spoke. And who were these seers? I am going to make an intelligence check to see whether Valen can figure out this clue. I think this is fairly obvious, so I will apply a plus two modifier, meaning that Valen will need to roll a 17 or less. Here is the roll. A 10. Valen looked at Lena as he considered the question. The word translates as, those who see, so I believe this refers to mages, he said. There was a sudden spark of comprehension on Valen's face as the realization dawned on him. The amulet, he said in revelation. My master's amulet. Thank you for listening to Legend of the Bones. If you like what you've heard, then please consider giving it a five-star review in your podcatcher of choice. Positive reviews really do help the show reach new listeners. You can also help by liking or retweeting new episode announcements, or simply recommend the show to a friend. I would also love to know what you think of the show, and I do respond to every message I receive. So with that in mind, you can contact me on Twitter at LegendBones, Instagram at LegendOfTheBones, email at legendofthebones at gmail.com or go to legendofthebones.blogspot.com for show notes, character profiles, maps and more. Join me next time to find out what awaits our adventurers as the bones decide their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone.